the book of Acts this, uh, this morning, Acts chapter 10, and we got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to kind of jump right in, give us some context so we know kind of what's going on before we jump into this verse, these verses. The book of Acts is the story of, of this, like here we are sitting in this room, um, many of us here grew up in a church of some kind, different kinds of churches. Some of you grew up Baptist or Pentecostal or maybe, maybe high church. Maybe you come from a Catholic or Lutheran background. And we wonder, well, how did we get from Jesus to like here, you know, to America, to being in a really hot basement in, you know, in uh, Flint, Michigan? Well, the book of Acts tells the story of what happens after Jesus ascends. Jesus walked around, he spoke, he taught, he was crucified by Rome. These are facts that no one really argues about. I mean, even an atheist is going to say, yeah, they killed Jesus. Rome killed that guy. The question is, what happened next? And those that love Jesus and follow Jesus, they claim, we claim, that his tomb was empty. And because of that one historical event, billions of people have been worshiping Christ ever since. Now, the early church, when, when Jesus first left, he told his disciples, he said, go into all the earth, go, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, and make disciples of all people. He told them to do this, and they, they obeyed, but they started in Jerusalem. They started in their hometown. The first church, the early church, was all Jewish. It was very monocultural. Everyone looked the same. They talked the same. They all had the same childhood. They watched the same TV shows, if you will. You know what I'm saying? They had a shared cultural heritage. You're Jewish? I'm Jewish. Oh, I guess everyone was Jewish. And they were the first church with all Jewish people. Well, here in Acts 10, something's happening. You see, all of a sudden, there's some non-Jewish people coming into God's family. An Ethiopian came a few chapters ago. A Samaritan has come into the family. Well, now Peter, we're gonna meet, Peter's going to go through something in his life right now that's going to change everything. So we'll start in chapter 10, verse 1. Here's how it starts. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. Now when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so here's the prologue of our story. We meet Cornelius, a guy we've never met. We don't know this guy. It's like watching a movie. There's a new character in the movie. And Cornelius is Italian. Italiano. Okay? He's an Ita I don't know if that's how you say it at all. I'm sorry. Uh, he's an Italian guy. 
And he's a soldier. He's, so, so Rome rules the world. This guy's a Roman soldier who's currently stationed near Israel. And he knows he's an officer. He's not a grunt. He's an officer. He's got a cool lapel with things on it. You know what I'm saying? He's a high-ranking official. And this guy, even though he's Italian, not Jewish, Italian, some non-Jewish people practice the Jewish faith. I mean, way back when the Jewish nation left Exodus or left Egypt and Moses led them into the desert, there were some Egyptians who went with them. Non-Jewish people said, man, your God is the God. I'm following him. And they came with and they became part of the Jewish nation even though they didn't share the blood of Abraham. And if you wanted to be, if you were a non-Jew who wanted to practice the Jewish faith, you had to be baptized into the Jewish faith. So Cornelius was probably baptized into the Jewish faith. He probably would come to the temple once a year to pay homage. This guy believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God-fearing man. And he's praying, and he has a vision. And an angel says to him, Cornelius, God has seen you. God knows you desire him. I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you all the things you long to know. Go get a guy named Peter. He'll come to you. He'll tell you all I want you to know. And Cornelius, in obedience, sends two of his, his like, servants and one of his soldiers to escort them to go get Peter. That's where the story starts. Verse 9. The next day, as these guys were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, noon, to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time saying, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So Peter is in Joppa by the sea, sitting at a guy's house, and it's noon. And what happens at noon? Lunchtime. He's hungry. Everyone's making food for him. He goes up on the roof to pray. Now, in ancient, the ancient Near East, um, their roofs were not like our roofs. In, our, in America, our roofs have a pitch. Why do American roofs have a pitch? Snow! In America, we got to get the snow, we'll crush our houses. So we put them in pitches to get all the snow and rain off our house. In the ancient Near East, they have flat roofs. And if you have enough money to build a house like this, you'd have a half wall around your roof. And you can go up the stairs to your roof, and you have your clothes lined up there for, to dry your clothes off, right? You have a chair up there to sit there under the sun. You'd watch the world unfold before you. The roof was like your den. It was like your, your roof was your backyard, basically. Peter's up in the roof, and he's praying. And he's not. A lot of us are shotgun prayers. It's like, I gotta, I, I, I'm like, Lord, I need X, Y, Z. I'm out, and I'm running to the next thing. Peter is taking time to listen to the Lord. He's like, okay, Lord, and he's just he's spending time with Jesus. He's, he's waiting on God. A lot of us will ask God for stuff, and we never wait to hear an answer. Peter's waiting to hear the answer. 
and he falls into a trance and sees a vision. It's a goofy vision. A blanket like comes down from the sky, and like, it's like there's almost like there's four people holding one at each at each like corner, okay? And in the middle of the blanket, there's animals, and there's like reptiles, and there's birds, and there's like pigs all in this blanket. Now the animals in this blanket all share one thing in common: they're animals the Jews are not allowed to eat. You ever heard, you ever go to the store? and buy Vlasic kosher pickles. They're the best kind. Kosher means Jews can eat them. They follow the dietary laws from the Jewish code found in the book of Leviticus. Okay? There's a kosher diet. In a kosher diet, the Jewish people are not allowed to eat certain animals, including pig and bird and reptiles. And all these animals that Jews are not allowed to eat are there in this blanket. And Peter hears a voice. The voice says, Peter, you, it's lunchtime. You hungry? There's your lunch. And Peter says, Lord, I'm a good Jewish boy. I ain't never eaten. I have never eaten that unclean food. I've never touched it. I've never tasted it. I'm a good Jewish boy. Because he's kept the law his whole life. And three times the, the thing comes down. And three times, eat. Three times, God, I don't eat that unclean food. And the voice says, what God has called clean, do not call unclean. What God calls clean, you do not call unclean. Now, the vision is weird. If I had that vision... Last night, I, I was tossing and turning all night last night, and I had some dreams. I wake up some of, my, some of my dreams are crazy goofy. I wake up from my dream, think about it, and I realize that dream meant nothing, go back to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Some dreams mean nothing. But this thing happened three times. He knew it meant something, but he didn't know what. Here's what happens next. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, meaning, what did I just see? Inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one looking for what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and he went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him and said, stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. So Peter, uh, praying, has a vision, doesn't know what it means. All of a sudden, there's someone knocking on the door. And God tells him, people downstairs, I sent them to you. So he goes downstairs, he meets these people, and he travels with them back to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. And when he gets there, it's a full house. And this happens. Well, like, my wife and I lived in India for two years. And we'd go to someone's house. Let's say, let's say someone built a new house, and they wanted to have someone come and pray over it and bless the house. We'd go to the house, and whenever we did this, it was never just the mom, the dad, and the kid. Never went to someone's house for any kind of prayer. They invited all of their family over. I mean, there's grandma and grandpa and their neighbors and their good friend. You got to meet everybody, walk around, because in America, we are a very, we are a very autonomous people. America, we love individual freedom. It's me by myself. When I turn 18, I move out of my house and I never look back. That's America. Okay. In many other cultures, Latin American cultures, India and Israel, culture is much more communal. It's not just do what's right for you, it's do what's right for your family or your tribe. Cornelius has called all his peoples, because all he knows is God told him, someone's going to come to you and tell you the truth about God, and Cornelius is pumped. He invites all his people, all his Italian families there. And I guess Italians got big families. They're all there, dude. Probably all loud, lots of food, and everyone's there. And Peter's there. And Cornelius is like, what have you come to tell us? Tell us what God has given you to speak. And Peter's going to drop the bomb. I go to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter preaches the same message we're preaching 2,000 years later. He's like, listen, Cornelius, I know you're, you're an Italian, but you're, you're stationed here in Israel. You heard what happened, right? How there was this thinking, this guy stood up at Jerusalem, and everyone put their coats down, and he walked into the city, and there was a huge uproar. And then a week later, everyone turned on the guy, and he was crucified on Golgotha Hill outside the city gates. You heard how darkness filled the sky when he died? 
They put Roman guards in front of his tomb, and it somehow still ended up empty. You heard all these rumors. We're telling you they're not just rumors. It's all true. And Jesus is not just some prophet. He's not just some holy healing man. Jesus is the son of God, and if you believe in him, you will have forgiveness of sins through his name. And he calls the people to put their faith in Jesus. That's why Peter came. And they're waiting for him. And what's crazy is the entire house believes. Cornelius believes. His family believes. His friends believe. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all get baptized right then, right there. Now, this story is in the Bible for one major reason. Peter had to learn something. And we got to learn the same thing that Peter had to learn. He didn't understand the vision. Right? The, the blanket full of animals? I can't eat that. That's dirty. That's unclean. And God said, Peter, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Because he's a Jewish man. And the Jews thought that the Gentiles, the pagans, who worshipped statues, who drank blood, these crazy pagan nations, the Jews thought these guys are dirty they're far from God, and we don't eat with them. We're not friends with them. We don't like them. The Pharisees used to pray. When the Pharisees, now they were very, uh, they're bad, they're bad. They're, they're not good people. The Pharisees would pray. They'd stand up and pray. They'd be like, oh, Lord, I thank you that I was not made a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. That was their prayer. They're awful people, awful in every way. But the Jews had in them this idea of Ethnic superiority. We're clean. The Gentiles are dirty. We don't eat with them. We don't go into their house. We do not associate with those people. Because they're unclean. And God says, Peter, don't call those people unclean. God, that, that vision of the animals was not about the animals. It was about the Gentiles. God's telling Peter, you can't call any group of people unclean that God has called clean. And God calls all people clean. Do you know why? Because God made all people in his image. Every single person that you meet in the world is made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says it so clearly. It says, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God made man and woman in his image. We are image bearers. I hear some Christians say that humanity is all evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God, so we are all imbued with God's good design. Now, sin messes that up. It's like a painting you spilled your coffee on. Oh, no. You can still see the beauty, but there's a big old stain in the middle. It's like my couch, you know? It, you can tell that thing used to cost money. Nowadays, two kids and a dog. But once upon a time, that was a bad couch. That's us. Made the image of God, but sin has marred it. We are all capable of great evil. Every part of us has been affected by sin, but every one of us still has in us that image of God that we were born with. That means on Friday when I go to the jail and I will be hanging out with, and those who go with me will be hanging out with people who have done real crimes. 
criminals. People who have shot other people. Who have stolen the hard work of others. There's some bad dudes up in there. But they were made in the image of God. We as a church have a heart for those in recovery ministry who are bound with addiction. And addicts, best liars in the world. It's true. Liars are the, they're the stinking Mike Tyson of heavyweight champions of liars. Addicts, I have addicts who love me, who I've ministered to for years, who look me in the face and lie to my face because their need for a fix is greater than any loyalty to our friendship. It's just the way it goes. And even in the midst of the slavery of addiction, those people are still made in the image of God. Because God has made all people in his image, we cannot call any group of people unclean. And I'm in a class right now called Cultural Anthropology. And it's a very academic class. My wife thinks this is hilarious because she loves cultural anthropology. The textbook's so big and so boring, but I read it every night. <laughs> but one thing the, the guy said, he's not even a Christian dude, just a cultural anthropology textbook. One th observation they make is that every single culture in the world, every group of people, regardless of skin color, location, history, every, whenever people gather, they find someone near them to hate. Everyone does it. They link up. You're like me. You're like me. You're like me. They're different. We don't like them. Every culture does it. And what's sad is, what happens is, so we're part of the American culture, many of us. We're born in this culture. We breathe the air of this culture. We assume what our culture teaches us is true, and we become Christians, and we add Christ to our Americanism, okay? And a lot of us will leave our Americana unchallenged by Jesus. And that is wrong. The first, thing I want, first application I want to make from this text is this. Is there any group that you consider unclean? You personally. Now, I know that sounds horrifying, but we all do it. We all have looked at somebody and said, I don't like those people. It could be racial. I was a pastor of a church for a while, and, and, and I left after five years. When I was leaving that church, an old white man came up to me, and he told me, you know, Pastor Nessa, when you first came to this church, I was unhappy because I did not like Mexicans. He told me to my face, and he told me why. He used to rent houses in Pontiac, and he had two houses rented to Mexican families. The Mexican families tore those houses up, you know, like they, like they treated them badly and caused all kinds of damage. So those two experiences made him think, if those two families did this, then all Mexicans must be like this. And so he had a prejudice against all brown people. That happens. I knew a man, a Vietnam vet. Loved Jesus, sweet man. But in his heart, he harbored hatred for the Vietnamese people. And he was wrong. As Christ followers, we cannot call any group unclean that God has called clean. Listen, we all saw the pictures from the last two weeks of Afghanistan being evacuated. It's a repeat of Vietnam. It really is. 
And there's a lot of, there's a thousand sad stories. I don't watch a lot of the news. It's too much to bear. My wife and I turned it on one night, the nightly news, and we saw a baby being handed over a wall, a, a, a bar, and like, and he's like, I can't watch this, turn it off. So people are upset. How could this have happened? Well, now there's a new wrinkle in the story. Because even though America left, America did help to like evacuate 30,000 friendly Afghanis that are being resettled here in America. 30,000 refugees being brought to this country. And now people are all saying, well, I'm glad you got them out. But what if that person moved into your neighborhood or your street? What if Afghani family moved on the road? Where are you saying all of a sudden? Are you saying, well, I'm glad they're not you know, Afghan, but I don't want them on my street. You're revealing your cards right there. There was a thing in Davison recently where they were going to put in some Subsidized housing for people. And the people, Davidson, came together to fight it. To say, we don't want that in our neighborhood. And there was some strong local Christian leadership in those meetings to say, not in my street. We shouldn't be known for that, you guys. We shouldn't declare, we should not call groups of people unclean. And it's, it's more than race. Now, race is a major issue. Do not think the racism in our country is dead. It's not dead. Peter had a look in his own heart and say, man, I have been prejudiced towards Gentiles, and I'm wrong. And if you got that in your heart, you got to deal with that. I'm going to say this as pastorally as possible. Being Mexican, I'm right in the middle of this divide. In our country, there is a black-white tension that is, that is loud. And it's not just made up by the media. Okay? It was there before the news was 24 hours. If you... I was told in my Christian church... I was told by a Bible teacher when I was a young believer, I was 14, 15 years old, I was told that after the flood, there were three sons of Noah, one son was cursed. I was told that cursed son was the black race. And I was told by that Bible teacher that that's the reason African Americans have been so poor for so many generations. That is racist. That reveals an inherent, that person is calling unclean what God has called clean. And if you have that in you, you got to repent and you got to fight that thing out. You got to. Now it goes both ways. And we're talking real all of a sudden. When Peter's doing it, it's easy, it's awesome. Way to go, Pete. Now we got to deal with it us. Okay, I'll give, give, give you a real one. Let me give you a real one. Let me give you a nasty one. If I'm I, my wife and I, I don't know where we were. I don't know. Where, I was somewhere driving, and where I happened to be, I was down south somewhere. And I, I, was, I, was, I was driving, I walked up the highway because there was a big accident, so I'm going through like neighborhoods, and there were Confederate flags in all the houses. And I felt two feelings very strongly. The first was fear. Now, you may not know that, but as someone 
who's not white, there is a fear in my heart when I see that because I wonder, do these people not like me? And are they going to hurt me? So the first feeling I have is fear. The second feeling I have is anger. I want to fight somebody. Now I want to tell you something. In my trash talking, and we all trash talk, I have talked trash on people who have Confederate flags and said really mean things about them. And when I do that, I'm doing the same thing. If I hate a hater, guess what that makes me? A hypocrite. A hater. If I hate the haters, I'm still a hater. Still a hater. I can't... I want to call people all kinds of names. I want to write them off and say they're evil. But listen, I don't know their story. Maybe they were raised not knowing how it makes me feel. So it's, I, don't, I, I can't just assume I know the motivation of every person's heart. I'm wrong when I do it. I'm, I'm, I'm being personal just so I can keep you from getting too mad. <laughs> I used to really, really not like rich people. Seriously. I grew up very, very not wealthy. Trailer parks, apartment complexes. I went to college. I'm working mad hours just to try to pay my senior tuition and have money to eat with. And some of the kids I went to school with got allowances every month from their family. And I'd always get so mad at them. Like, you're so spoiled. You don't know what it's like to, to, to suffer, to, to struggle. And I'd look down on them because their parents had money. But here's the thing. If my mama had money, guess what she would have done? She would have gave me some of it. How can I, if my kids, if I have money and my kids need it, I'm not going to be like, suffer like I did. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be a jerk about it. I used to look down on those who had money just because they had money, and that wasn't fair either. I was wrong when I did that. If you look at a group of people and you look down on them, but because of who they happen to belong to, you're wrong. You do not honor Christ when you do that. Listen, let's get more petty, shall we? Yeah. Maybe you're very politically opinionated. And people across the aisle really annoy you. I remember listening to Christian radio, and every single election someone says, if you're a real Christian, you'll vote for this person. Maybe you think to yourself, well, if that, someone votes opposite of me, I don't want to be their friend. I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to block them on Facebook. I don't want to be near anyone who's different than me. Because if you vote for that guy, that means you're X, Y, Z. When you do that, you're wrong. If you hate the other team just because they're different than you, you are calling unclean what God has called clean. In this house, in this moment, there are strong Republicans and strong Democrats. I love you all. Some of you are wrong. Some of you are more wrong than others. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Some of you guys think birds aren't real. I mean, I, I, there's all kinds of stuff, okay? There's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but listen. <laughs> Someone's like, I'm leaving the church. Birds aren't real. Take it. Reagan, uh, so, sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm going the wrong way. Point is this. Is there any group you don't like? Because Peter had to get right. Peter had to go, man, I used to think you were unclean, and God taught me. I cannot call unclean what God has called clean. And he welcomed the Gentiles into the church. 
And this move is going to cost Peter everything. It's going to cost him everything. Next week you're going to see what it cost him to go against his culture for the sake of the outsider. It's going to cost him everything. Imagine an Afghani family moves into my neighborhood and I welcome them with open arms and we bring food and also the rest of the neighbors are like, we don't want this guy in our stinking neighborhood. And I side with the new family versus all the established families. That's pain for me and mine. When you choose. So the question is, are there any groups that you have odd against? Racial? Political, economic? Is there any group that you look down on because of they're different than you? If so, you have to repent and you got to get right. And it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a long time to get past that stuff. Next application is this. Is there any person you consider unclean? Is there anyone in your life that you hate with with pure hatred. Maybe this person has hurt you. They've hurt your family. And when you see them go through bad things, it makes a little bit of your heart happy. I understand that. I, I know what bitterness is, right? Bitterness is unforgiveness codifying into cancer inside your soul. Mark Twain once said that bitterness, bitterness is drinking poison and hoping it kills the other guy. So Mark Twain once said, he's a pretty clever dude. Is there anyone that you think to yourself, that person is unclean before God and God will never love him because they did this to me? If you have that unforgiveness in your heart, you've you got to let that go too. As Christ followers, we are not a people of grudges. We're not a people who hate and hold hate. We are a people who forgive and we know this because of the Christ we follow, who literally on the cross, being mocked, said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He forgave the very people inflicting pain on him in that moment. He didn't curse them, hate them, curse their families. He forgave them and he loved them. And we, if we're his children, we got to be like him. Even if someone hates me, I don't react with hatred towards them. We do not overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. This is the power of the gospel, that might is not right. So we're going to take a moment of silence here together and ask yourself these two questions. Is there any group of people that you are prejudiced against in your heart? If so, you need to repent in this silence. And maybe even some of you who have someone in your heart that you, you call unclean because of what they did to you, you hate them, and God's saying you have to let this go. They may never ask for forgiveness. That's not the point. You're forgiving them because of obedience to Jesus, not because they deserve it. I'm not saying be their best friend. I'm saying you got to stop hating them and carrying this bitterness in you because it's killing you and it will continue to kill you. So we're going to have a moment just to pray silently in our chairs.
and ask these two questions. Lord, is there anyone I call unclean? Let's bow our heads and silence together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died that we may live and who lived that we may know what life's supposed to look like. We see in Jesus who we're supposed to be. Lord, help us not to hold prejudice in our hearts. Let's not be a people of condemnation, a people who are prejudiced or sexist. Let's not be a people who write off entire communities. Let us be people who are loving and accepting. And just like Peter threw the door wide, let us throw the door of your kingdom wide for all to enter. And Lord, help us not to hold bitterness against individuals. Lord, we have been hurt and we have been sinned against and we trust you to deal with that. You are the judge of heaven and earth, not us. We forgive them because we trust you, because we love you, because we want to be close to you. We don't want to be shackled by our own hate. Help this small community of followers in, in Flint, Michigan, help us to be a people who again go against the norm. And instead of being divisive, we are united. Instead of grudges, we actively seek to make peace. Help this community to be a little slice of heaven here on earth. In Christ's name we ask all these things.